your source for stateside views on Everton Football Club. Hosted by Alex Johnson, James Boyman, and Ryan Williams. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the American Toffee Podcast. James here, joined by Alex and Ryan. And today, we're very pleased to welcome on a special guest. He is a prolific, uh, I'd say, Everton commentator, critiquer, you could say. Uh, does a podcast called Talking the Blues. Most of you probably already know him and as he has been on the show before, but we are very happy to have on Paul the Esk. Paul, thank you very much for joining us today. Hi, guys. And we're all speaking from the same side of the Atlantic. Yes, indeed. All uh, <laughs> same time zone, the grand old U.S. of A. Yeah, well, wow, that, that. Doesn't, that doesn't happen often. So, yeah, it's exciting. <laughs> yeah, well, thank you very much for, for having me on. I'm, um, I always enjoy listening to you guys. Um, always fascinated by the, the strength of support that uh, Everton generates across across the states. I think the um, you know. The recent uh, DCS in Minneapolis was just just amazing for for the number of people that turned up, and the number of people who you know devoted Evertonians who turn up year in year out, and also the, the the numbers of new people. You know, first game, first time ever seeing Everton, first time ever meeting fellow Evertonians. Um, I think it's fantastic, and uh, long may it continue. So some of that's down to you guys and, and the excellent work that you do in uh, spreading the um, the Everton word across the states. So well done. I think it's also worth mentioning that Tony's been on our Discord too, Tony Sampson, asking for feedback and stuff. So if you haven't done that, American Toffee Podcast listeners, first of all, get on the Discord. Why are you not on it? But if you are on it, make sure you give Tony some good feedback. Um, we've done so. I've got lots of things to say, but I haven't said them yet. Um, n- me or my alter ego, apparently, that showed up on the Discord yesterday. <laughs> that's, a, that's a separate conversation, a uh, longer story. But yeah, you know, one of these days you're going to have to show up on one of these things in person, Paul. I know it's hard with your schedule, um, but either way, uh, like I said, you know, I had I was with you in spirit there. Uh, we did miss you, but it was a great time for sure. The beauty of none of you knowing what I look like is that I could have been there and you wouldn't have known anyone. Anyway. <laughs> so it's nice to be like that, I imagine, <laughs> right? Yeah, I don't. And you laugh sometimes, especially when I'm in Liverpool. I mean, for the most part, I have good relationships, but... You know, some people don't like me very much, so I do look over my shoulder a little bit. So maybe, maybe I should have gone your route. Very, very quick story. Okay, so uh, I before we get into the, the serious stuff, um, sadly, an uncle of mine died just before the, the the pandemic started. So I went back to Liverpool, extended family, lots of people there because big uh, Catholic family uh, attended the funeral, and I bumped into a cousin afterwards. You know, we drinks afterwards and stuff. Uh, I hadn't seen for many years, a fellow fellow blue. And we got chatting and he's like, you know, sort of, so how are things? And I was t- telling him about what I was, I was doing. Um, didn't mention Everton particularly. And he said, oh, he said, you're really into business, aren't you? He said, and you, obviously you love Everton. And I said, yeah, yeah. He said, there's this guy called the Esk. He said, you want to listen to him? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, really? Uh, he said, I'm not really on social media much. And I didn't tell him. <laughs> I didn't tell him who I was. Oh, you didn't say like, oh, that guy's a jerk or something? Just <laughs> No, no, no. <laughs> There's enough people who say that. Didn't need me to say it as well. So this guy, had, I mean, he's a cousin. And actually, I, I, actually, I went with him to the 95 Cup final and he didn't he didn't know who I was. So there you go. That's unbelievable. I was thinking. And you've you been know, effective. You've Well yeah. done, honestly. <laughs> I was I was thinking your voice is distinct enough and having listened to your podcast for many years now that I'd be able to, at least if I was in conversation with you, uh, pick it out. But I guess if your own family can't do that, no, then this uh, is, there's, a, no there's a very sophisticated filter between me and the microphone. So this is actually not my real voice. <laughs> it's you actually really, really deep, nine. right? Paul's like six foot eight power lifter, mostly He's uh, <laughs> traveling around the world doing competitions. He's not really a business guy. Yeah. So. yeah. Anyway, there we go. Throw them There's, off the scent. Anyway. No, I like the idea of creating all sorts of mythology around you, Paul. I think yes. that'd be hilarious. But we'll we'll just we'll go with the straight face, go into the twenty seven years campaign rather than belabor that point. So. Yeah, let's do that. Yes, indeed, that is uh, that is what brings us all here today. We we would are very glad to have Paul on to discuss the twenty seven years campaign. Um, if you're not familiar, this was an initiative that started last year during I think some of the the chaos following the the sacking of Rafa Benitez. But I think the, you know, the seeds of this movement have been planted for a very long time. Um, But I think the official sort of labeling branding, if you will, uh, have finally 
uh, come to fruition. And uh, we were really eager to get Paul on to talk about what we did was we solicited questions from members of our Discord. As Ryan said, if you're not on it, invite.gg slash ATP to get in. Um, and I think there's some really good stuff here, Paul, that maybe you can help clarify, address, or uh, build upon in terms of uh, you know persuading others or um, building momentum around this movement, because I think the, the ideas behind it are, are really good and um, would love to try to do as much consensus building amongst Evertonians as we possibly can, which I know has been uh, difficult and something we'll touch on. So without further ado, we can just get right into the, the very first question, which comes from uh, Aframes11. Um, who asks, is there a specific goal of the movement? If so, what are the measures the 27 Years campaign is asking for? Online, there doesn't seem to be a consensus end goal or even steps other than the overarching statement. Um, In your article that you put out recently, you set out three major objectives, which were one, a call for Farhad Mashiri as major shareholder to make the management changes necessary to see an improvement in performance on and off the pitch. Secondly, a call for Farhad Moshiri to communicate in future through official club channels. And third, a call for Farhad Moshiri to engage, meet, and discuss fan concerns with the fans. Um, and I guess the question to put to you, in addition to the, I think those would be the specific goals, um, is that a consensus amongst the, the campaign? And uh, are these things published anywhere else? Or would you say that you're, um, I guess, leading the charge, for lack of a better phrase? Uh, There's definitely a consensus. And it's interesting to compare the approach of the 27 campaign to uh, previous campaigns, previous groups of Evertonians that have uh, tried to generate change within the club. Um, I think we recognised before the campaign started that appealing to the board, appealing to the executive uh, to change their ways or indeed change the personnel, both at board and executive level, was not going to work for the simple reason that turkeys don't vote for Christmas. Um, and we and we genuinely believe that there has to be significant change at board and executive level in order for there to be a change of performance within the club. The, the narrative before built, uh, before Fahd Mashiri came along was that all we needed was money, that we were a very well-run club and that we had the people, we had the skills, we had the experience um, to grow the club and make the club competitive. And of course, when Fahd Mashiri came in, he said money's not going to be a problem. And, you know, with Ronald Koeman, he said there's a three-year plan, which is do okay first year, get European football second year, maybe Champions League qualification the third year, which obviously looking back on was hopelessly naive. Um, now, we've actually, in, in, from my perspective, we've, we've gone further away from that than we were in 2016. So appealing to the people who are responsible for taking us further away didn't seem like a sensible strategy. So the sensible strategy seemed to be, was to say to the shareholder, the main shareholder, look, you're the guy that's put all the money into the club. You're the guy who ultimately has the power to recruit directors, to recruit uh, the senior executives in the same way that you've recruited, um, you know, managers and directors of football. So we're going to appeal to you directly. And we're going to appeal to you directly because, one, because you're the person who uh, has control. And secondly, because we actually we believe that our interests are totally aligned with yours. Mm-hmm. We don't want you spending huge amounts of money and wasting money and having ineffective performance. We want you to do what you said you were going to do in 2016, which was make the club successful, make the club play good football, and ultimately make make the club win, win trophies. So that, that was the reasoning behind the, behind the campaign. And it, it was admittedly, a very different approach from from previous ones, um, and it, it's a quite a bi- I, su- I suppose looking at that objective, it's quite binary whether you're going to be successful or not. He's either going to engage or he's not going to engage. And the fact is, is that he hasn't engaged directly. There's some evidence that he's changed some of his be- uh, communication behaviours. So, for example, he doesn't talk on a on a national radio show to his favourite uh, radio host anymore. Uh, a guy called Jim White, for those who are not familiar. Um, he now communicates through the club, which was one of the things that we asked for. But in terms of him actually uh, addressing the fans' needs, sitting down and listening to what we've got to say and what other people have got to say, and in terms of him then acting on that, um, we're as far away today as we were in November 2021, if the truth be known. So looking at the objectives, I mean, Paul, I think you just said that 
number two, at least what you wrote in your article. And and it's safe to say, I mean, those are the primary objectives of the 27 year cans years campaign. I mean, that those yes. are those three. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay. So it looks like number two, there's been some progress made. You know, Farhad Mashiri is communicating in the future through official club channels. Um, I don't think it's very often, but at least he's doing some of that. So I guess you could say there's been movement on that front. Um, but number one and number three, first of all, I'm kind of curious if these are in order. And the reason why I say that is because if number one, the call is to bring in the best management team he could, or at least a management team that's truly befitting of, of a Premier League club um, in terms of just comparing across the board level of experience and the types of profiles. Um, seems like some of these other things might just take care of themselves. So I, I would argue that when I look at them objectively, I would say number one's the most important one, but I, I think maybe it's hard to say because it's how much authority and day-to-day um, involvement Farhad really has. So I'm kind of curious what your take is. Number one, do you agree that we made some progress on number two? And then is one more important than three? Or uh, how do you view, how do you kind of look at it that way? Um, I'd not really prioritized one and three, to be honest, or, or, or made one more important than the other. Um, two, certainly... Uh, the the fact the fact that he's now communicating through the club, although albeit not very effectively, is is a you know a small improvement. Um, but you know, I I think how I'm going to put it, it, it was just based on a very simple idea that he is in control of the club and he's got to take control of, of the circumstances in terms of what the board does, uh, what the executive team do, and the it seemed to me that. Certainly, the board would not be reporting back to him as to what the problems might be within the football club, other than the fact that we might need more money, or, or perhaps that the academy is not quite doing what it should be doing. Therefore, do we need to bring in another ex-Evertonian, or you know, whatever the, the whatever their point of view might have been? And I think that what what we were trying to do in the call for engagement and in the call for him to listen was to provide a more object, objective analysis of what was going on within the club than he would get from his own board and from his own executive team. I mean, you would have thought he would just be interested in doing that anyway. I mean, wouldn't that be, it's just, um, but I don't know. That also gives him a platform to do number three. And I I think that's, you know, you can talk about the, so if we just talk about number one, I mean, I think objectively speaking, how could anyone look at the club and not feel like maybe, maybe we're underperforming? I mean, like going out on a limb here. (laughs) I mean, no, I'm trying to be neutral here without saying they're terrible or anything, because I don't know that. I don't know exactly what's happening at the board level, but I think there's enough objective evidence to suggest that, yeah, maybe we should have some changes. I, I, that's not a radical idea. It's nothing personal against Denise or anything like that. I I, I just don't, I, just taking the emotion out of it, I, I think that's a perfectly reasonable request. I know Alex is going to ask a question on number three here, but I mean, that's kind of the idea though, Paul, right? And we're just talking about objectively looking at it saying, hey, you know, I think this is a good idea. And who would argue with that? Really? I mean, it's common business practice, right? You don't you don't look at a, a C-suite or even director level at any business of decline in four or five years and say, you should still be sitting there. Not at, not a decline at this rate, right? But um, anyway, Cryptus from our Discord had kind of a two-part question. Um, the first one, you know, the first part was, has the campaign men made any significant progress towards the stated goal of Moshiri sitting down and discussing the issues at the club with them? Um, and the second part of the question is, do they intend to demonstrate this season until that takes place? Okay, so the, the first part of the question is very easily answered in that we've made no progress. Um, you know, may as well just call it as it is. We've made no progress. We've made, no, I mean, it's... We've made... Right, no, what, 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 there's not even one illustration that's remotely close. Uh, no. I, well, actually, having you said that, I, I could I could argue the case, but it, it's, it's only a minor thing that... Uh, his first communication direct to the fans through the club was in January, and that was a, as a as a result of the protest that took place outside Goodison Park. It was a direct response to that. Um, I could argue that the the most recent open letter that he sent was a was a direct response to an open letter that we'd sent to the media that was embargoed and shouldn't have been published till the day after, but somebody leaked to the club. So I could argue that there's been he, he's reacted to what the campaign was doing, albeit not in the manner in which we, we, we hoped he might. So there is that, there, there is that small amount. Um, but effectively, I, I think the answer to the question is, is, is no. Um, now, does that mean that we will uh, protest throughout this season? I think there's a very fine balance between uh, protesting because we're interested in the long-term 
interests of the club, or rather we're interested in long-term advancements of the club and we don't want to see the club uh, continuing what we think is a, is a downward spiral. So there's a almost an obligation to do so because of that. But there's also a recognition that as as it stands with, with the current squad, we might be we might find ourselves in the same position that we found ourselves in the last quarter of the season, uh, much earlier in the season. And do we want then to be disruptive to uh, the, the call that no doubt the club will make and that Frank Lampard will make about supporting the team? And it's whether you can, you know, we talk about supporting the team but changing the board. It's whether you can actually do those two things uh, at the same time and be seen to be doing the two things. Because all the critics and all the knockers will say, um, if you're uh, attacking the club or if you're attacking the owner or the board or, or, or the executive team, then how can you be supporting the team? Personally, I think you, I think you can do both because the, the attacks on the owner and everybody else is for a, a purpose, and that purpose is to make the club better than it currently is. And without somebody ultimately saying, we need to change the way that we're doing things in order to make things better, how actually can you ever make anything better? So in a sense, there's an obligation to do that. I think I don't have a direct answer to that question, because not because I don't want to give it to you. I think it's going to be driven by circumstances. If they, if the team do really well, and like we're in fourth place after ten games, frankly, a lot of Evertonians will turn around and say, "There's no need to, there's no need to protest about anything because we're doing okay." If the team are like second from bottom after ten games, everybody will say, "Well, we can't do anything now because we have to support the team." So it, it's actually a really difficult thing to call, and I think we can only call it uh, at the time. And I think if we do uh, do protests at the time, it will be a very uh, ad hoc thing. So it's not something that we can plan now to do in the middle of October. It, it, it would sort of just happen and it will be generated out of circumstances. And it will be generated also out of, out of how, how the fans themselves feel. And that's not just the fans that uh, you know reside in Liverpool and, and live close to uh, Everton's football club. It's also the fans that live across the UK, but it's also the fans that live internationally. So big fan base in Ireland, obviously a big fan base in the US and a big fan base in the Far East. Um, and part of what we've got to do from where we are now to say where we might be in October is reach out to uh, all of these fans, all, all, all over, basically all over the world and get your views on what we should be doing next. And what you think is the is the appropriate behaviour given the circumstances at the time, um, because we, we don't want we don't want to be we're not acting as representatives of the fans where people have got an, a, you know a particular opinion about the club and about what's appropriate to do, but at the same time we don't want to be acting in a manner that uh, is inconsistent with many fans' views. So there's a very fine balancing act. I'm, I'm we are trying to be uh, very sensitive both to the needs of the club as we see it, as to the needs of the club as they see it, but also as, as to the needs and what the fan base themselves think is appropriate. So it's, yeah, it's, it's difficult to, to forecast exactly what we will do. I, I think that's fair, Paul, and I think you raise a lot of good, good points and some observations. I mean, I, I found it really interesting that people have such a hard time, though I understand it, compartmentalizing the the idea that you could go into the Gladys Street or the main stand and, and cheer for the first team and make a lot of noise and then leave the stadium and also then, you know, direct criticism at Farhad Moshiri. And, and Is that so strange? Like, I, I, re- I think that's, I mean, are we not human beings? Can we not reason? I mean, of course, you're going to root for the team. You want what's best for the team. And that's but the I, whole point. Like, I mean, I told, I, yeah. but people, I guess people are, finding that difficult but no i I think it's very alex do you though i think i understand where you could say okay well the media is going to interpret it one way and then the protest gets misrepresented but but i digress the the other two things that i think you raised paul that are really um interesting are just the short-term versus the long-term thinking where the general uh feeling amongst the fan base when we lose three nil away to uh a newly promoted side versus when we get a one squeak by with a 1-1 draw, you know, away at Chelsea, for example. It's just so back and forth constantly. And then I think that that can make it challenging to take the view, okay, well, let's zoom out and look at the last five years 
and let's look at this objectively and how have Everton fared over that time when once the season starts, people seem very caught up in the week to week or day to day changes in people's uh, temperament changes with that as well. Um, And the other thing, I guess, is just there when you alluded to, you know, if we're fourth, people would say there's no need to protest, whereas if we're in a relegation fight, we can't protest because it's divisive. And this is true for protests in general. You'll always have people who will say there's never a good time. There's never a good time to protest because of in this situation, it's X and this situation, it's Y. So you should just never do it. And so um, I think the the idea is that this has become imperative to raise these issues to Farhad and to the board um, in order to to change things. Um, I don't know if you have a response to that, but the, I guess the next question actually dovetails nicely off of that and some of the comments you were making, which is um, just concerning coalition building. How have the, has the 27 years campaign as a group, um, as a concept, gone about coalition building within the fan base, especially when um, there these types of things in terms of the methods of protest or the, even the, the campaign in general tend to be kind of divisive? How do you um, persuade large groups of people oftentimes individuals to buy into this idea that this is necessary i don't think we've been very good at it i think we've we've appealed to a certain part of the fan base and we, we've sort of uh, i think we i think we, we've focused on on that part of the fan base if i'm being totally honest with you and i don't think we've addressed sufficiently the concerns of people who are yet to be convinced by what we're doing even if that even if they're possibly convinced by the argument that there needs to be changed, they may not necessarily see us as the appropriate agents of change. And I think that's the next big challenge for uh, for the 27 campaign. It's either that we become the agents of change or that we uh, facilitate and we help and we um, coexist along other agents for change. And I, actually, I, and I would be very happy if that was the case, if there ended up being four or five different campaign groups who all address different parts of the uh, the Everton fan base, which is a very disparate fan base. Um, and we were all doing our own thing, as long as what we were doing was consistent with the idea that we have to get to Farhad Mashiri in order to generate the changes that are necessary. So um, we've not been great at it so far in terms of uh, reaching out to parts of the fan base that we wouldn't normally um, appeal to. But we've got to learn how to do that. And, and whether we do that through sort of intermediating our, our message through other groups or whether we find a way of talking to those other groups, um, I'm not quite sure yet. For example, and I was going to bring this up at the, at the end of the discussion, but for example, so if we address what can we do for uh, American toffees, well, one of the really interesting uh, aspects of a campaign group of a group that's trying to influence change within an organization is that that's not usual behavior for sports fans in American sports. Like American sports fans might argue that their their owners aren't doing a good job or that their team's rubbish or this, that, and the other that they're discontent with. But from, from afar, I'm not aware of these types of campaigns being created within, within American, American sports uh, groups or fan, or fan groups. So this may be something that differentiates Everton from everybody else. So if you're, if you're an American that's interested in Premier League football, here's an opportunity that is, first of all, obviously gives you exposure to Premier League football, but it also gives you an opportunity um, to be really engaged with the club and possibly be an agent for change. Um, and if from a distance you know, living in Washington or living in New York, wherever it might be, living on, on, on the West Coast, living in central um, central parts of the United States. Here's an opportunity actually to be an influence on, on what you want the club to be in the future. And I, I think that's actually a really powerful message to get out to people who either are Evertonians already or are, are looking at, at the Premier League and thinking, which football club do I want to join? Now, we can't promise you that we're, that we're the most glamorous club. We're not. We can't promise promise you that the, you're, we're going to be the most successful club because for a number of years, we're not going to be anywhere near that, even if things started to go well. But what we can promise you is um, a level of engagement, a level of uh, interest in the club that's very different from it elsewhere. And that might be one of the things which something like the 27 campaign might want to consider for the future. This is a way of getting 
uh, of getting out to people who want to be more than just passive fans, who want to be, even from a distance, uh, active fans of, of a football club. And I think, you know, Tony Sampson, for example, has done some work on that already, I think, in terms of the engagement with the different uh, fan groups around, around the country. Uh, and that was evidenced, you know, in, in the recent tour. And it's been evidenced by some of the stuff that he's done um, so far. But that, in a sense, that's been like the, the, the positive engagement about, you know, uh, this is, it's, um, it's been like a push exercise. So this is what we can offer you. This is the football club. This is our view of the football club. This is Everton's view of Everton. And and they push that in, into people who are interested in the Premier League. I think we can go one stage further and say, yes, this is Everton's view of Everton and this is what Everton are. But actually, there's a window of opportunity here for all Everton fans, no matter where in the world you are, to actually be part of something that actually may uh, engender change within within the football club. And that's a totally different proposition from my perspective. Well, a different type of change a little bit too, right, Paul? Because I think Tony would argue that they've made change. Uh, You may call it incremental. You may call it whatever you want in terms of those things that they have kind of a remit for. You know what I mean? But not, I mean, Tony's not there to change Farhad Mashiri's mind about how he runs the club. You know what I mean? It's just, it's a different thing. Um, And he has got the club to change behaviors to some extent, but it's more of a, not quite as a macro level, uh, but done a very good job with it. And people really listen to him and he's really engaged. But I think that leads into the, the kind of our next question. Um, and it's a derivation of two questions, really. One was from DL Barks and the other from Bill uh, from Chicago um, from the Discord. And that's, has there been any discussion about appointing a central spokesperson for the movement? Uh, and, and I think there's a nuance to this, too, because you said, hey, you know, get involved in a different way, I would call it. Uh, and I think in a positive way. Um, but does that kind of lack of clear leadership present a challenge in terms of consistent messaging? I think people have associated you a lot with it, but I don't necessarily know if I'd say you're the guy that's the sp- the central spokesman f- for it, other than you do have a platform and you speak about it and believe in it. Um, but like if the press or the board said they wanted to talk to the 27 years campaign, they've done it before, but you know, who would they be talking to? Who would they say? you know, who's representing you, I guess, formally, is that something you guys have talked when you talked about how to get the engagement kind of right or different and win over some other people? Is that something you think is necessary? Yeah, I, I, I do. Um, and, and this is not like Paul Lee-esque show by any stretch of imagination. You know, the people who are involved in the campaign are the people who go to games week in, week out, home and away. Um, and have, you know, supported and campaigned for Everton for years and years and years. Uh, it just so happens because of the way I do things, I've built up relationships with the media over, you know, like the sort of 10, 15 years I've been in, or 15 years, yeah, I've been on social media. So, you know, because of my interest in financial matters, uh, a lot of pe- a lot of the media have come to me when they've wanted uh, sort of like financial in- in- inquiries or inquiries about the club's finances. So I've built relationships with many of the national newspapers, some of the broadcasters and stuff. So it's it's been a relatively easy process for me to just to extend that relationship into. Last week I talked to you about the profit and loss account. This week I'm going to talk to you about what the yeah. you know the, the next um, bed sheets that we're going to put outside Goodison. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> yeah. that's not your area of expertise, is that? What you're <laughs> yeah, I send them over from the US. Um, <laughs> You get your own line out, you know, yeah, yeah. branding. Exactly. Yeah. All the esque bed yeah. Nothing but the best when it comes to thread count, am I right? <laughs> right, right. Well, yeah, and you got little hooks. You know, the hooks come with it. You can just put it right people, on the fence. People think right they're off. just no bed damage. sheets, but they're, you know, 800 thrand uh, uh, Egyptian cotton. So you know, Vehicles of change. <laughs> anyway, no, sorry. Um, uh, I'm just, so The whole marketing campaign, I already have in my head. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, Go ahead. No, we're not going there. We're, not going. we're definitely not going there. So, um I have those relationships, but then other people within the, within the campaign have relationships as well, albeit, you know, based on football rather than sort of mine, which has been based on finance. Um, but we haven't had a formal structure as such. Uh, okay, we've had like, we've put out press releases and we've put out material to, to the media. And in, in the most cases, they've been well received and we've had extensive media coverage. You know, for example, like the the... The walkout, the first thing that we did, the walkout at the Arsenal game, relatively small number of people, a few hundred people did it actually at the game on the 27th minute. 
but he got ex- extensive media coverage, which was the objective. So BT, Sky, BBC, the American broadcasters, the Far Eastern broadcasters, Middle Eastern broadcasters, they all covered the story, which was exactly what we wanted them to do. Um, but we, we, we've not had a formal structure. We are now just in the process of putting a formal structure together so that um, I suspect if we were having this conversation in a month's time, I'd say, yeah, there's a committee and the person that's responsible for uh, media relationships is whoever that person is. So I think I think we I think we have to go there. Um, I think we'd hope that we could have done this like a um, almost like a guerrilla type campaign with, with, without these formal structures and had Fahad Mashiri engaged uh, in the early days, then we possibly wouldn't have to be doing what we're doing now. I think I think we have to make a decision as to if we carry on doing things the way that we've done things, then probably we're not going to see much change. So it doesn't make a lot, a, lot, a huge amount of sense to do it in that way. So therefore, we have to become a little bit more formal. We have to take on, and it's really interesting. You, you think you know the fan base, and then suddenly pops up. Somebody will pop up and say, "You know, I've been working with trade unions in the UK for like twenty-five years, building campaigns, building um, viral campaigns online, offline, uh, going to meetings, talking to people about the benefits of joining a union, for example." Uh, or somebody will come along and say, uh, "Yeah, I'm a chief of staff for you know." A, a major political um, individual within the UK. I want to. I want to help with the campaign. Um, so these types of people are popping up, and I think now that we're going to start making use of them. Uh, very interestingly, academics are very interested in what we're doing. So that there, uh, Everton are very fortunate in that. Well, in football, there's a very str- rather there's a very strong interest from academics in football, and that's developed over the years in the UK. And it just so happens that uh, Everton are very well represented amongst many of the senior academics in in the field of football, particularly in the field of football finance and football management. So they've popped out of the woodwork and said, we we recognise what you're doing. What can we do to help you put programmes together that will educate people as to how they go about creating a campaign, how they go about uh, communicating with people, how when they're in the pub, standing next to somebody or sitting on a coach going to an away game, can they say like five sim- sim- simple statements that make people think, well, actually, yeah, the 27 campaign or yeah, the 27 campaign have got some something here. I'm, I'm interested in it. So that sort of viral sort of, you know, spread by um, word of mouth as much as uh, online stuff, all those type of things we're starting to look at. And I think, I think we will be doing a huge amount of that in the next six months. Because I don't think we're going to go away. And I don't think, you know, I genuinely don't think the problems that we identified at the beginning of the campaign uh, are going to go away in the next six months neither. So, you know, regardless of how the team performs, that the, the overriding issues that we want addressing are going to be there. So we, we, we have to adapt and we have to become smarter and we have to become more professional in terms of our ca- campaign, uh, both to generate wider support amongst the fan base, both at Goodison, but also particularly internationally, um, and to get fired Mashiri to listen to us. So, Paul, we've got, <clears throat> I think you've answered, uh, you know, made at least some good points about the next question we have, but I'm still going to pose it to see if you have any uh, final succinct thoughts. And this is from James S. on the Discord, and that is, why do you think the 27 Years campaign has been met with so much animosity from some quarters of the fan base? As a collective, it seems we're all largely in agreement that the club isn't being the run, run the way it should. Why do you think there are people that are spending so much time criticizing the campaign? <laughs> it's a really good question, and I, I wish I had a very simple answer <laughs> and a very, very, very clear answer. Um, some of it undoubtedly is, is down to personality. Uh, make, make no bones about that. You know, some people just don't like other people, um, including not liking me, and that's and, and that's fine. Uh, some people don't understand what we're trying to achieve, and that's down to us as well because we haven't explained ourselves well enough. And some people are genuine. Well, before I say the last bit, some people are actually okay with the way the club's being run and think that once we get to Bramley Mall, all of our problems will be solved. And having Thelwell on board and having Frank Lampard and having Paul Clement, having Ashley Cole, etc., uh, We've gone through all of our difficult times and now actually 
we, we will be okay. That's a line of thought, definitely, from some. Um, and some people are petrified with the idea of a protest and campaign because of the, what they perceive as being the negative impact that it might have. And what might be that negative impact? It might affect the, the, um, the performance of the players. It might qu- make the manager question whether this is the right football club to be at. It might make it more difficult to re- recruit players. The, these are, some people will say they're laughable concerns, but actually they're genuine concerns because people write almost on a daily basis uh, to me and other members of the camp- campaign saying, so for example, last Saturday we had a, you know, a protest. Why did you have the protest in the middle of the transfer window? You know, it makes it more difficult for the club to recruit people, and people genuinely believe that. Whether you whether you think that's a, uh, a sensible conclusion or not, people genuinely believe it. So, uh, we have to take some responsibility for the number of people that don't like the campaign. But there's also an, an awful lot of other factors that we can't possibly influence, even if we were the best sort of political with a small p campaign that you'd ever heard of. The Everton, the Everton one, of the, um, one of the amazing things, and, and you'll know this, and I, I know lots of Americans will know this, even if they've never been to Goodison. One of the amazing things about Everton Football Club is how complex it is as a, as a, as a, as a community, as a sort of, um, yeah, as, as, as a community. I mean, it represents every single view that you could ever think of is represented in the Everton fan base. And the Everton fan base very seldom speak as one. So it doesn't matter what you do, what you say, how you say it, there are always going to be people that agree with you and there's always going to be people that disagree with you. I think the only time when it happened, when, when it comes together is something like, you know, the Crystal Palace game or um, like the Leicester game last season where driven by necessity, everybody, the Chelsea game, the United game, driven by necessity, everybody put their differences aside and focused on actually what was really important at that moment in time. Um was it different before, Paul? Would you say like during the 80s when Everton was debatably the best team on the planet? I mean, was it was it different uh, or was it still the same personalities clashing just kind of um, on a more kind of micro level? No, it, it was very different. It was very different then. Um, but, you know, if you fast forward, say, to when uh, when Everton were proposing to go to their new stadium outside the city of Liverpool to the Kirby Stadium, which ended up in a, sorry to bore Americans, but ended up in a public inquiry where the club wanted to move because there were financial benefits to those people within the club to do so. And the fan base didn't because they wanted to remain within the city of Liverpool. There was, a, there was the same level of friction then as there is now. Um, when Everton had a, a group called the Blue Union, in sort of like the late, um, the late noughties, the early sort of 2010 through to 2012, when David Moyes was doing great things on the pitch, the Blue Union wanted change. They wanted to get rid of the chairman, Bill Kenwright. Massive disrest amongst the fan base. So it's been there. Um, now, that's just that's just the way the club is. The problem we've got is the club also know that, so they, that they know if uh, the fan base don't speak as one, it actually makes their job of surviving and continuing doing what they're doing easier. So one of the one of the I think one of the calls going forwards. Is it's going to be a call for unity and unity amongst the fan base, whether, and that's not unity in terms of you have to accept what the 27 campaign is saying. It's finding a statement, finding a course of action that unifies everybody. So, for example, time for a better Everton might be a statement that almost everybody can agree with. And then you get into, you don't get into the, well, what is it that we're doing? You then get into the, how can we achieve what we want to achieve? And I think that's I think that's the next I think that's one of the next next steps. I think if, when people listen back to this, they might think, well, actually, this this campaign doesn't know what it's doing. Um, I think we do know what we're doing, but we're still not quite absolutely sure of how to do it best, and we're desperate to do it best, the best way we possibly can, to be the most effective um, campaigners that we can be. Um, and we're just going through that process now, as I say, from being, uh, you know. R- relatively amateur in, in terms of our, our attempts, but very devoted to what, doing what we're doing, to becoming much more professional, much more focused, much more driven like a normal campaign would be. And as you say, Paul, that sort of thing, building a 
coherent message that unifies people of every background you could possibly imagine isn't something that happens overnight. And this campaign, though it's been going on for several months now, is still, I think, in general, in a lot of senses, in its infancy and still sort of, as you said, establishing some of these formal structures, um, defining the aims and the messaging better. And I think um, also just deciding on the means through which you would consider protesting, which again, segues nicely into this next question that was from uh, Bluest192. Um, regarding the the means of protest, um, is there any desire or intent uh, for some sort of financial-based protest, for example, not buying memberships, not buying from the team store tickets, so on and so forth? Or is there confidence to some extent that public protest and pressure is the most effective means to achieve the desired end goal, as you are acutely aware and have done an amazing job of, of shedding light on the financial situation of the club in general is not the best. Uh, Ryan, you wanted to add something there? Well, that's kind of like the American way, Paul, to your point earlier. I mean, there have been some protests in certain clubs that have done some stuff that's been you know, erroneous, or but, but really people protest by with their wallet by just not going. Um, you know, because really it, it's not, it's not so much that there's no, the financial concerns are really not there in any of the major sports because of salary caps and things like that with the possible exception of baseball. But even then, I think just a couple of the small clubs use it as a crutch. So, so there's not really that, I mean, this is a more comprehensive issue and, and also let's be honest. I mean, this is, it's just a lot more tribal and it's a lot more tied to the communities. Um, I'd love being from Pittsburgh. Yeah, everyone's devoted to the Pittsburgh Steelers. And maybe if they were going off the rails, people would lose their minds. I'm sure they would to an extent. But it's, it is a little different, uh, I think. It's, it's just more complicated. There are more issues around it. But I, I think that's that's a good question. Like, what is that balance between like a financial based protest, which I think most Americans probably are like, yeah, why don't we do that? Or, you know, you know, or, or is it just public protest and pressure? Right. I mean, that's a that's a real question. Yeah, I mean, there are a number of answers to this question. Firstly, it's very difficult to, if the objective was to hurt Everton financially, it's actually very difficult to do so. And why do I say that? Well, because most of the income sources are outsourced. So, you know, if everybody decided not to buy a football shares, it wouldn't it wouldn't impact Everton at all this year because, it, you know, it's, the retailing is all outsourced to, to fanatics. It's outsourced to Hummel. Now, it would affect them, but it wouldn't affect Everton. So, you know, that's one. Secondly, uh, in terms of, okay, so we stopped going to the game. Well, 90% of the Goodison, of, of the Evertonians that attend Goodison are season ticket holders and have paid for their tickets already or are on a, a program that pays for their tickets on a monthly basis. So them not attending the game would have no impact at all on Everton financially. So it's, it's actually very difficult. Uh, to impact Everton financially. The other interesting point is people point to um, the response of, uh, for example, Liverpool supporters with Hicks and Gillette and the success that the Spirit of Shankly, which is was, was their sort of campaigning organisation, had in getting rid of Hicks and, 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 and Gillette. Spirit of Shankly had been around for 10 years before that happened, and it took them the 10 years to build... Um, the mass that was required and to build the confidence within the fan base for the fan base to do something which is totally unnatural to fans to deny themselves the opportunity to go and watch their own team in order to generate change. So it's unrealistic, I think, for to think that the 27 campaign could do that in six months or nine months or 12 months. Um, and particularly given the rather sort of uh, parlous nature of, of Everton Football Club in terms of performance, um, that's not going to happen. We, we, you know, we saw, we saw what is the response of and it's a brilliant response. What is the response of Evertonians when Everton are in difficulties? They they just become even more fanatic supporters, and that's that's part of our well, DNA. How would you say that affected the campaign, though, Paul? That that's a real good question, though. How did that affect the campaign? Because that's really the next question we have. It kind of leads right into it from Caramel Crunch Ten, one of our favorites. Um, you know, how was the campaign affected by the relegation fight last season? So you saw everyone getting together behind the club. I mean, again, I think that's natural to think you're not saying don't get behind the team. I mean, it really is completely irrelevant. It's it's if anything, it's helping to accommodate that. But but his question ultimately is, is does that event and the future threat that that could happen? Does that continue to impact the movement's goals and decision making? I mean, I, you kind of alluded to that earlier that, you know, that is a real concern for people. And maybe that's one angle they take to say don't don't do this or don't do it in a certain way i mean is is that a stretch to say 
I, I don't, I still see them as very different, but I guess people think any little thing that might be misperceived could affect things. I don't know what your thoughts are on that. Yeah. So when, when it became obvious that the fan, well, it's always been obvious when it became obvious that the fan base had to organize themselves and do things like coach greetings, do things like um, waving the coach off from, from, from the training ground at Finch Farm. There was a group called the Atmosphere Group that was set up, which were representatives all across the sort of predominantly the, the, the local fan base. And they got together with the club and they designed and created, you know, things like the, the greeting of the coach outside Goodison and stuff like that. And actually several members of the uh, 27 campaign are also part of the Atmosphere Group as well. So, but we reckon- I know I was actually hanging out with several of them before the Chelsea match, before the coach. Thing. Indeed, I had no idea any of that stuff was coming. Oh yeah. yeah. I mean, they brought all the, all the uh, smoke bombs and stuff. They just started setting them up. I'm like, I won't say his name, but I'm like, what are you doing, man? He's like, <laughs> you'll see, you know? And I was like, wow, this is great. And then I looked to my right and I saw a dog being tossed over people's shoulders. I'm like, what is going on yeah. here? Well, but that's another discussion. One of them, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, but so, that's a good point though, Paul, you would think that that's illustration though, that clearly those two things don't, don't conflict with each other. No, they don't. But and, and we made the conscious decision that when the when the atmosphere group started doing its fantastic work, that, that we would put all of our um, protesting stuff to one side. So we would carry on with the communications in terms of this is why we think uh, fired machinery needs to change, and this is our financial performance. This is you know how much it costs us to earn a point in the Premier League as against other clubs. All the sort of you know, nice statistics that, that we threw out. Yes, let's continue doing that because we need to do so. But actually, protests are, are completely out. All we need to focus on in terms of physical action is what we can do to help the team, you know, overcome the obstacles that the club had set, set the team themselves. And, and that's what we did. And then at the end of the season, so the Crystal Palace game on the Thursday and then the uh, Arsenal game on the Sunday, the 22nd of May, uh, which obviously wasn't, wasn't a great game for Evertonians, I think everybody felt so exhausted by what they'd done to try and help the club get over the line. Naturally, people just, partly out of relief, but partly out of exhaustion, people just said, I'm taking a break. And they took a break for about three or four weeks. And of course, in that period, it, it became, everybody became aware that Fahad Mishiri was trying to sell a football club. So here's us with, with the objective of trying to engage with a guy who, on the face of it, seems to be wanting to sell the club. So he sort of snookered us in that sense. You know, there was nothing that we could do whilst he was in the process of selling the football. If, if indeed he was in the process of selling the football club, there was nothing that we could do. So we, again, we, we, we sort of sat back. Um, and it was only when it became apparent at the end of June that the sale, if the, indeed there is going to be a sale, is, wasn't going to be quite as quick or quite as easy as it might have been suggested in the media, that we said, we need to do something. But we need to do something that doesn't impact the club at the beginning of the season. So if we're going to have a campaign, it has to be a very narrow window. There's no point in having a campaign when the football club is all out, out in America and all the media attention is on what's happening in DC um, and Minnesota. There's no, just no point in doing that. So we can do it between the time when they come back from America and, be, and, and before the time of the, of the game on Friday. Obviously, we were never ever going to do something on Friday because of the political situation with regards to wanting to support the Ukrainians. Um, so there was only one weekend when we could do it, which was the, the previous weekend, and we, and we did. And again, we achieved our objectives in terms of media media attention. Um, so actually, there was a, a quite a clear uh, sequence of events which which led to us either campaigning or not campaigning. So in that in that sense, actually, we were quite structured. So. So you mentioned, you know, Farhad Moshiri um, was looking to sell the club or at least gain investors. And, you know, that leads to our question from the Penny Blue, in which he asks, would the 27-year campaign be content with bringing in or adding more characters of questionable integrity, such as the Kenyon Group or, you know, our new sponsor, Stake, as long as they made the better situ- made a better situation at the club? And would reinstating the annual general meeting be considered a successful solution to something like that happening? I, I can only speak personally because actually we've never actually discussed this within within the campaign. From a personal perspective, I've always been against uh, gam- gambling advertising in, in sports. Uh, I just think it's, it's 
it's entirely the wrong thing to do. I think it's a terrible industry, uh, a pernicious industry that transfers wealth from poor people to wealthy people. So why should a football club um, be supporting such an industry? Now, a lot of people say that's very naive, but that, that, that's my own personal view. Um, yeah, I always have concerns about who the people are that are coming into Premier League football, uh, but there's not much I can do about it other than say the governance model across the Premier League is very poor and the Premier League will always do whatever it needs to do to keep the, the, the ball fully inflated. So they don't really, they're not really that concerned where the money is coming from as long as there's a new wave of capital to, to, maintain, to maintain the show. Um, personally, I disagree with that. But then again, you know, that, that's just me as an individual. I don't think there's much that the campaign um, can really do about it. The AGM is, is, is a separate measure, um, albeit, you know, all part of the same story. It's just a different symptom of the same disease, that there's a lack of um, accountability and there's a lack of recognition from Farhad Mashiri as to what the fans expect from him, what the shareholders expect from him. And it's inconsistent with what he said when he came to the club, that he would always keep the channels of communication open and that he recognised the, um, what was his exact word, the, the rights of small shareholders. Now, because it's now inconvenient for him to have those meetings, because those questions, the questions that wouldn't have been asked six years ago are going to be asked now, it's no longer, in his eyes, appropriate to have the meeting. Um, so, yes, obviously, we'd, we would want the AGM to come back, but it's, it's, it's a relatively small um, bit in, in, in the overall, well, the overall things that we're asking for. Is it just convenience, though, Paul? It just seems to me that that is such a strange reaction to do away with the AGM and to, I just, I, I just, in modern business terms, it is mind boggling to me that, I mean, it's a community based. But is club, that strange, man. though, I just, Ryan? I cannot believe is it, that someone would be, do that. To, I, I think, think it think, actually is you know, a little bit. When yeah. Farhad bought the club, he had the three year plan of Treadwater, Europe, you know, challenging for Champions League places, what have you. And he probably thought five years in, he'd be lobbed softball questions about how well we're doing and whatnot. And all of a sudden, things don't go according to plan. The heat and pressure ramps up a little bit. And, um, you know, those in power tend to try to, I think, avoid that sort of difficult questioning as much as possible. So I, I, I see the motive there. It, it doesn't it, it's at odds, I think, with the spirit of Everton and the, the core of our identity as a club. But I, I, I understand. Well, like buy something else then, man. Yeah. Like that, that, no, I, I actually do think I, that's just my take. I mean, there are a million industries that you can invest in. Surely you're not making money off this. And I'm not going to accuse the guy of sports washing or anything like that. Cause I think that's a more complicated thing that people just throw out. I think it's way more complicated than just that singular term, but then why, why buy the club? I, I just don't get it whatsoever. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. And may, maybe it's a byproduct of that, that he really is going to sell the club, Paul. I mean, you know, that that really could be it. It doesn't sound this like this group was the right one either way or, or quite prepared to do it. Um, I don't know what he's asking or how unrealistic he is. I mean, could it be? Could that be a sign of it, Paul, would you say? Or do you really think it is kind of like what James suggested? You know, it's just kind of or, or you even said convenience. I, it just I don't know. It just seems crazy to me. I mean, to have some level of responsibility, man. Come on. Well, bear in mind, the club's got a history of this. So when UK legislation changed, in the early 2000s so that private companies and Everton is a private company it's not a public company um, there was no requirement for private companies to have AGMs when it got difficult for Bill Kenwright to answer questions at AGMs he you know he stopped AGMs as was his right he changed the articles of the club uh, so that they were no longer necessary or, no, or, or, or there's no requirement to do it and it took four or five years of concerted campaigning by the shareholders association and others to get back to the point where they were reinstated. And that was, that was viewed as a big positive when they were, when, when they were reinstated. Um, so the club's got a history of doing that. I did think as well that it might be a, a preparation for sale because it just makes, it just removes one more obstacle from a potential purchaser, but then any, any potential purchaser could, if they acquire hundred percent of the stock, could make whatever changes they want to make to the article. Well, actually, if they acquired 100%, there wouldn't be any other shareholders, so it'd be a mute point. But if they acquired the 94% that Mashiri owns, you know, they could they could make the same changes that Mashiri's made anyway. Um, I, I, I genuinely think it was a, 
he didn't want to engage. He didn't want to ask the be asked the questions. He didn't want the public scrutiny that an AGM brings along, the media attention, the attention of, you know, awkward characters like me. That's I, I would concur with that uh, hypothesis, Paul. And and what that awkward? <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> That's exactly what he meant. No, don't let him get out, get out of this. I I totally disagree with that. But just in terms of Farhad Moshiri's motivations. Um, we have one last question for you, Paul. Appreciate your time. I think this has been, I mean, I found it very insightful. Hopefully our audience agrees. Um, and maybe something that's more relevant for uh, those of us across the pond. You mentioned earlier, you know, the appeal of something like this, th- that something like this might have for fans overseas that is unique from American sport. Um, this comes to us from uh, Jeremiah on our Discord, as well as uh, Bluest192. Um how can those of us uh, who are supportive of the 27 years campaign, but either live overseas or aren't active on social media, best support the movement? At this moment in time, there's not an obvious mechanism other than than Twitter. So if you're not on Twitter, it's difficult. But I think where we have to go to is, um, and you know, the US in particular is, is, is the classic uh, example of this, where you've now got a very strong network of supporter associations, supporter clubs who um, can disseminate information, who can not only disseminate information, but can actually listen to people and bring information. So it's not just push, it's pull as well. They're, they're bringing information back, which is of benefit to, to the club and to the wider supporter base. So I think the 27 campaign with regards to the US in particular, uh, we have to we have to get to each of those supporter groups and we have to explain the reasons why we think it's sensible for them at least to give their members the opportunity to to look at what we're doing if they're not already seeing it on online and i think that's really really the next the next phase and i think i think two things on that uh we mentioned it before about being makes you an active supporter as against a passive supporter um but i think that's also a fantastic message for the uh, supporter groups themselves to go out and to make their supporter groups much bigger than they already are and there's two elements to that message. First of all, uh, you can be an active uh, member. We can be an active supporter of Everton Football Club and there's a channel to get your thoughts back to the club. Um, and secondly, you can actually be part of a movement and part of a club that's going to improve in the future. And you will have you will have a sense and a stake in that. You'll have some ownership in that. If you participate in the campaigns, if you do... Um, I don't know, if you hold banners up inside a pub in Philadelphia, for example, um, or whatever it might be, um, you know, I can't think of what it might be at this moment in time, but what, you know, whatever sort of activities one, one thinks about, that at some point then applies pressure back to the club. Because let's, let's, let's remember, the, the US market is of critical importance to Everton Football Club. They, they're investing money, they're investing time. Uh, the fact that they've been... To America twice in two years to do the um, you know the, the, the summer shows you summer football shows you how important the U.S. is is to America. Well, here's let's make it even more interesting. Let's give American fans the opportunity to be part of the club and to be part of the change of the club. That's not driven by the club, but it's driven by the fan base, and that's that's the challenge to us is to create a mechanism to, to create the environment in which the, the fan organizations, the fan groups, and the fans themselves are happy to be part of that. And I think, I think if we succeed in that, it will be extremely powerful. The only one last thing I'll say to that, Paul, is, is can you explain or make sure that the listeners understand um, the difference between kind of your group and like the fans forum and whatnot? Because I don't think they're necessarily in conflict either. You know, people may want to join them for different purposes. You know what I'm saying? I, I think some people maybe look at that and say, well, well, I would be a part of your group. I want to be a part of that group. It's just different, you know? And, and to be honest, I think they should be part of both. The fans forum and you know, what they're, they're doing amongst uh, supporter groups in the US is fantastic. Really is good. You know, people like Tony Sampson and, and lots of other people spread across the US are doing fantastic work engaging with uh, football supporters engaging with people who are already Evertonians, creating new Evertonians out of those people who have got an interest in Premier League. They're doing fantastic stuff. But their remit is to, and I hope Tony won't mind me paraphrasing this, is to extend 
what Everton is currently across the US. I think if we had a remit, it would be to extend what we want Everton to be across the US and to ask the fans themselves to be part of that journey. And I think that's I think that's the difference. And it's not it's not something that the that only we can do. The fans forum can do that as well. And you know the sort of the more official element of of, of uh, engagement with US soccer fans. The club club can do can do that. The fans forum can do that. But we can do it as well. The only difference is that we can we can express our own views as against necessarily the views of the club, which might sometimes be different. But as long as the ultimate objective is all the same, is to make Everton, you know, one one of the most popular football clubs. I'm not sure what the noise is. Uh, to make Everton one of the most popular football <laughs> football clubs across across the states. That's what we want at the end of the day. That's what we all want. Uh, we want to drive the popularity through the success of the football club. And we, we yeah, I think Tony is, uh, I, uh, Paul, to your point, I think Tony is about making sure that the Everton DNA, the identity is resident throughout all the different chapters and whatnot. I mean, that that's always Tony. And we, we've had him on the show, obviously. We, we've talked to Tony a lot. Like and that, he really cares about that. You know, he wants to make sure that the Chicago Evertonians or the DC Toffees and John and their crew, like they all get it and they understand and they have the outreach with the club in order to cultivate fans that share kind of those things in common that binds us all together. I just think you guys are trying to actually you could make an argument that you're trying to get the Farhad Mashiri because that seems to be the at least immediate target right now the objectives to act in that same vein too uh because I mean that's really part of it I mean you see at the top of the club they don't necessarily show or display maybe those same characteristics as you even get at the grassroots and the people you engage directly with the club so I I and I think that's that's natural I mean it's just a different different target a little different objective definitely I mean sorry sorry, just one, one way of expressing that, Ryan, might be Fahd Mashiri is totally dedicated to the club from a financial perspective and has done more, more and beyond what we might have expected him to do over the six years. The one bit that he hasn't done is make the club better. And that's ultimately what we're all about is how do we help him make the club better? The sort of... The fist in the iron in, in in the velvet glove. So there's the velvet glove. Glove. How can we make help him make the club better? The fist in the el- in, in in the velvet glove. Sorry, is ultimately that if he's not prepared to make the club better or can't make the club better, then he has to move on and allow somebody else to do it. And that's the campaign, really, in one sentence. Well, Paul, as, as uh, James mentioned, we really appreciate you uh, joining us to give very uh, candid and well thought out answers to questions from our Discord members. Um, I would like to open the floor to see if you have any final thoughts before we wrap it up. I think I think I've said all I all, all <laughs> I want to say is that very comprehensive. We, yes, we all yeah we all no we all we all want a better a better Everton and um, I think there'll always be discussion as to the best way of achieving that. Um, but you know I think I think it's a duty of an Evertonian and, and not just people who live in Liverpool who follow uh, Everton from close by. I think it's a duty of every Evertonian. To, because you're an Evertonian, because we're the club that we are, because uh, we have such a fantastic history, because we have such fantastic potential, is to make sure all of that uh, creates the best possible outcome for all Evertonians, and that's there's an obli- an obligation to do so. It, it's not being an Evertonian should never be a passive uh, thing; it should be an active thing, and everybody. And the beauty of you know modern day communications and technology is everybody can play a role in that, and that's that's why that's why I think we should. You know, that's why well, that's what I think we should do. Very well said. Very well said. And I think that's a perfect way to end this episode, Paul. Thank you, as Alex and I have said, we really appreciate your time. Um, for those listening that want to hear more from Paul and the Twenty Seven Years Campaign, uh, you can find him at at the Esk on Twitter. Uh, theesque.org for all of his articles and podcasts uh, talking the blues you can find wherever you get your podcasts as well um paul any other last plugs is it at 27 years campaign on twitter for the uh official account as well i think it is off the top of my head i think it is okay <laughs> so we'll link all of those uh anyway. we'll link those in the description as well um paul great to have you back great to hear from you and and best of luck with the campaign and we're we're obviously happy to help Uh, any way we can and we'll look to get involved more in the future and uh, thanks to everyone for listening as well hopefully you enjoyed it Uh, I know Paul is always 
very active in Twitter spaces and whatnot. So if you feel like there's any questions that we didn't uh, address, I'm sure you can find him somewhere and uh, ask him directly yourself and he'd be more than happy to answer. Is that fair to say, Paul? It is. And, and thanks for the opportunity to talk to you guys and to talk to um, all Evertonians across the U.S. and elsewhere. Um, and look, let's let's keep up the good work, guys. Uh, you, you're doing great stuff on social media. And you know, just ask all Evertonians to be active in making Everton a better football club. Better Everton for everyone. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Appreciate you all. As a reminder, just you can find us on social media at USA Toffee Pod, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Join our Discord, invite.gg slash ATP, and uh, leave us a rating and review on your podcast platform of choice if you enjoyed this content. Otherwise, we'll be with you next time. And until then, up the Toffees.